0: I certainly felt blessed hearing that message, I really appreciated the message very much. It was very wonderful and beautiful and very blessed, and that was the main thing. I remember that meeting Brother Gary was telling me about, or telling us about out in Texas. I didn't know altogether I had uh, had an impact on Brother Gary, but I'm very thankful for that. It's always been a blessing to be with Brother Gary, whoever that might be. Um, I was traveling home yesterday from Adele, Georgia and unfortunately you cannot go to South Georgia without going through Atlanta I already went down through Atlanta on Thursday and now I'm coming back through Atlanta on Saturday and uh, I turned on grace along radio and um, hearing a wonderful subject uh, being preached on the subject of prayer felt very blessed to hear that and you cannot go through Atlanta if you're a praying person without praying you, you just you just cannot do it uh, you know, that's just all there is to it. And then when I got home, Karen told me she heard the, the same message. know, Hugh Sanders preached it. And she said she heard another sermon on prayer with Brother Michael Goins. And uh, it stirred my mind a great deal uh, on the way home and meditating about what I might try to speak on here this morning. And so my mind seemingly led to the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses of this chapter. Now, we find where the Lord is speaking here to his disciples. And he said unto them that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, there's many, many verses in the Bible, Old and New Testament concerning prayer. Um, Psalms is just filled with them. We have many examples of men praying. But here the Lord gives us a lesson, a detailed lesson, an event, I believe, that actually took place to get a point across to us that I think is very, very important. He said, I would that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So there's a connection between fainting and prayer brought to our attention here. Now, when you faint from a physical point of view, you lose consciousness and you become helpless. I I fainted, I think, twice in my lifetime. The last time I got real sick during the night and, uh, and uh, got up and go into all the details about that and laid down on the couch and then early in the morning I got up to go to the restroom went to the half bathroom there and the next thing I know uh, I just remember uh, fading away just fading away and you know there's not much room in a, in a half bath all you need but uh, not like it is in a full bath and there's just enough room there if you wanted to lay down on the floor you could, but you had to work at it just to, to fit in. And, and somehow, or another, I passed out, I fainted, and I wound up just fitting in. I mean, I could hit my head on the on the sink. Uh, I could hurt myself, ser- injure myself very seriously, very easily. But it's just like the good Lord in His arms, just reached down under me and just took me and just just laid me down. And I'm very thankful for that. When, when it was all over and I thought about that and considered that, I, I just kind of shook my head in amazement that I failed there and, and didn't hit anything. But you have a feeling of helplessness when you faint. Spiritually speaking, God's people can faint. Spiritually speaking, God's people can get so discouraged, uh, you know, that they just faint inwardly, they faint spiritually, and they just kind of give up. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that. So he tells us here, I would that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So this is one of the ways, that, uh, you know, the Lord has given us here, a spiritual exercise to keep us from spiritually fainting. Now there's other, other things in the scriptures teach us about this as well. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, Paul says, Be not weary in well doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Now, see, when you're involved in well-doing, which we all should have a desire to do, um, you might get to thinking after a while, well, no one seems to see it. No one seems to recognize it. No one seems to appreciate it. Uh, I don't see any real fruits to my efforts. And the first thing you know, you can kind of become weary in all that. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be involved in well-doing to be recognized to begin with. You shouldn't do it, uh, you know, for people to pat you on the back, et cetera, et cetera. But being human as we are... We do like a little appreciation every now and then, a little recognition. Perhaps my effort's not totally in vain. So Paul warns us here, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. The last verse of Isaiah chapter 40 says, They that wait upon the Lord, notice it says, They that wait upon the Lord, specifically those who wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. Now usually when you renew something, it's because whatever's under consideration is expiring. And it's time to renew. It's time to renew your, renew your membership, say, uh, in, in something or whatever. Or your subscription in something. So our strength in this picture here is about gone. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and shall not faint. To keep them fainting, what do we need to do? We need to wait upon the Lord. The last two verses of Psalms 27 reads like this. I had fainted, unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, if I hadn't seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have fainted. Now, what is the land of the living? You're in the land of the living here this morning. This is where the goodness of the Lord is spoken about. This is where the goodness of the Lord is seen. This is where the goodness of the Lord is manifested among in the land of the living. I prefer to be among the living, not the dead, don't you? I mean, you know, sometimes Karen will say, "Oh, what you planning on on doing today? She's never heard me say, well, I think I'm just going to go to the cemetery and take a stroll. I've never had a desire to just go to the cemetery and take a stroll out there among all the dead. Now, there are times I might go to the cemetery to see a grave site of a loved one. That's fine and all. But just to go take a stroll through the cemetery to be among the dead, I've never had that desire. But I do love to be among the living. Those who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come here in the land of the living, here's where the living assemble. Here's where the living come together. Here's where the living act like they're alive. <laughs> I've seen some children of God, I just was not quite sure. you know. <laughs> they were so inactive, I just wasn't quite sure about it. But anyway, we, uh, he says here, I had I lest I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he says, wait on the Lord, and he shall strengthen thine heart. And then he says, as if you forgot what he just said, wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, waiting doesn't mean to be inactive. It means to be serving like a waiter or a waitress. They're hard workers if they're good at it. I mean, they're just busy going here and going there. And one thing or another, Karen, I ate the crack barrel the other day, and this one waitress, I had to serve about six tables at one time. Now that kind of you know spread her thin, but she done a, she done a great job considering the, the situation there. But here the Lord zeroes in on prayer. Here the Lord says, I would that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says here that he exhorts the church of Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. Now I think that really means that we should never cease to pray. Don't let the circumstances of life burn you down so. Don't let the circumstances of life become so heavy upon you that you get so distracted that you cease to pray. This is something we need to do every single day, whether we're on the mountain, whether on the valley, it doesn't matter. Prayer should be just as natural to the soul as breathing air is. Now, you know, when you breathe air, Uh, You you breathe polluted air all the time. Uh, I don't care where you're at, the air we breathe, it's polluted. It's not 100% pure, I can assure you that. And it's more polluted in some areas than it is in others. But prayer is a means that God has established where there can be communication between heaven and earth. Where there can be communication with God in heaven and his elect family right here on earth. And when you pray, it's like breathing pure air. That's the difference. That's the difference. Now, you might go to the Smoky Mountains. You might go on top of a mountain, be all isolated all by yourself, and you just breathe in that good old mountain air, and it, it feels great in contrast to being around a big city where you've got so many vehicles, and you've got smokestacks and everything else, and no doubt it's more pure there than it is here, but I don't care where you're at, you're breathing polluted air. Used to be, in a generation or two back, people, when they built houses, built wraparound porches, and they didn't have air conditioning back in that day. Yes, there was a time people did not have air conditioning. And they had windows that they would raise in ceiling fans, but it was designed in such a way, you raise a window here and raise a window there, and it pull a giraffe right through, the, right through the room. So that was natural air conditioning, I suppose. But now we're living in controlled climates. There's no windows open here, but we got air conditioning going on. And we're breathing piped in air and forced in air. And while it makes us cool, it may, perhaps it's not the most healthiest thing in the world. But if I put a sheet of paper out there and I said, uh, you know, everybody signed up that wants to go back to the day of the wraparound porches, no air conditioning versus today. I don't know if anybody put the name on there or not. But when you pray to God, you breathe pure air. And another thing. We live in a decaying society. We live in a decaying society, my friends. And you breathe that polluted air every single day. Imagine that you're beside a corpse and it's been there for three or four days, nothing done to it. And you know what? It's already started decomposing. And you can tell by the smell that's there. And you got you breathe that, right? And that's the kind of way I see in the society we have today here in the world, in America. uh, We live in a decaying society. And we are breathing polluted air every single day. More the reason for us to be very prayerful and to pray without ceasing. As our Lord here says, you have to pray always and not to faint. You need to breathe in that pure air that only comes down from heaven, you see. Now, he gives them a parable here. I believe this really took place. Now, I want you to get in the setting here because it's going to be between a, a widow woman and an unjust judge. And this judge that's unjust, he's not sitting in a permanent structure, in a permanent building, in a courthouse like you would expect today. If you went to see a judge, you would go to the courthouse uh, and he's got a, a certain place there and there's his chambers, one thing and another. And you try to get on the docket to try to see him, whatever, but the courthouse back in that day was a tent. And the tent was taken down and moved from one location to another. You had circuit judges. And that tent might stay there for a day or two days. might stay there for a week. You may or may not get in to see the judge. If you didn't get in to see him before he decided to go to another location, you just have to wait till he came back around whenever that might be, you see. So I want you to get your minds set on this and view this in your mind. Of the setting here concerning this judge and the setting and this woman that is a widow woman. Now, Luke writes more about widows than Matthew, Mark, and John put together. He makes six references in his gospel to widows, two of them to widows plural in general. And then there's four individual widows that the Lord through Luke through the Lord makes reference here. Luke chapter 2, there's a woman named Anna. We find in Luke chapter 7, there's a woman who's lost her only son. She's on the way to the cemetery when the Lord meets her. In Luke chapter 21, we got a widow who we have heard throughout the years put in her two mites, her, her pennies, put in all her living into the treasure. The Lord says she put in more than the rich did when they came by. And there's all lessons in, in every single one of these, but we're focusing on this certain widow right here. There's a certain widow. This is a woman, but she is a widow, which means she doesn't have a husband, obviously. And she must have a problem with somebody that she refers to as an adversary. And she comes to the unjust judge. Now, he no doubt had some assistance. And, you know, there would be an agenda. But in order to get in to see the judge, there was no guarantee of that. And no doubt some got to see, see the judge because they slipped a few dollars to one of his assistants and bribed them to get them on the docket for that particular day. This woman doesn't have such means. This woman comes to where the judge is. He said there was in a city a certain judge that was unjust, who feared not God nor man. So get the picture of what kind of person we're dealing with here. We're picturing a, a man with authority, a man with power. But this man doesn't fear God. Well, what does that tell you? Well, that tells me he's not a child of God. Because the wicked of this world don't fear God, but God's children do. That's a reverential respect they have for God. This man didn't fear God. He didn't regard man. He didn't even consider his fellow man. Very selfish man, in other words. Didn't really care. He was a man of authority. He was a man of power. He was a man who could control things. That seemed like to be the only thing he was concerned about. So in this city was a certain judge, an unjust judge, who feared not God, nor did he regard man. And then here comes this certain widow woman. Now God had given very clear instructions in the Old Testament about taking care of widows. That was still in effect during this time of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God's people didn't always do what they were supposed to do. This woman is going to come to the judge because she has an adversary. She needs relief. She needs some help. And lo and behold, she's gotten to come to a judge that doesn't fear God, neither does, she, neither does he regard man. And the widow woman comes. Now the Lord has given this illustration to his disciples. Not to the world in general, not to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the chief priests or elders, any of them. He's given perceived his disciple. In other words, this lesson is for me, this lesson is for you. This lesson is going to give us the importance of prayer. Here, Uh, it's going to illustrate it with two people that are totally different: a man and a woman, a judge and a widow woman. Here, if the widow woman comes to the judge, let's notice the contrast of this widow woman coming to the judge, and you, as God's child, coming to the Lord. This widow woman was a stranger. To the judge. The judge and his widow woman didn't know each other. But when you come to the Lord, he knows you, and you wouldn't come to the Lord if you didn't know him. <laughs> right? Uh, look in John chapter 6 and verse 44, 45. The Lord said, No man can come to me except the Father sent me and draw him, and I'll raise him up again at the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Not all taught about God. Many of God's people will travel through this world here in their lifetime and never be taught about God, but they won't travel in this lifetime without being taught of God. God will teach them in their hearts to know Him. He will teach them in their hearts to love Him. He will teach them in their hearts and give them the desire to pray unto Him. So when you come to God, you come to one that knows you. You're not a stranger with God. You're His child. Let's look in Romans eight fourteen. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. And you not receive the spirit of fear under bondage again, but the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, the children of God. And if children of God, then we're heirs of God. Did you notice that? You're referred to as sons of God, children of God, and heirs of God. Not just heirs of God, but joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your connection with God. That's your relationship with God. You're his child. How does that make you feel this morning? Think about it just for a second. You can just quote that, read that, skip right over it. But let's just pause on it just for a moment. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. God who hung the moon and the stars and the sun up there, you're his child. If you've loved the Lord, you're his child. You're in his family. You belong to him. He's your heavenly father. He's not just your creator, God. He's your heavenly father. You are his child. That's just more than my little old mind can wrap around sometimes. What about you to think about that? So when I come to God, I come to my father. This widow woman here has got to come to an unjust judge that doesn't know God, has no, has no reverence for God, doesn't fear God, doesn't regard man. What a contrast that is. This woman came with no guaranteed access to see the judge. She didn't know for sure if she'd see the judge or not. She wanted to see the judge. Most of the time, a woman just couldn't come and see a judge. Uh, the women didn't have the same standing in that day as the men did. But she's got to have some help, but she does the very best she can. She does what the only thing she knows to do. There's a judge holding court in, in town that day, and she comes there, and she's hoping to get a hearing before that judge. And in the beginning, the judge is not going to give her a hearing. No guaranteed access. Do you know that you've got guaranteed access 24 7 to the Lord? You certainly do. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul says, For by him, talking about Christ, for by him we both have access unto the Father by one Spirit. See the Godhead there? For by him, Christ, we both, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, that's what's in consideration in Ephesians chapter 2, Jew and Gentile. For we both, Jew and Gentile, see prior to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the temple worship, Gentiles didn't have the same access as Jews did. But he says we both have access by him, by Christ. We both have access by him unto unto the Father by one spirit, not two spirits. Jews don't have a spirit and Gentiles have a spirit separate. We both, same spirit. We both have access unto him. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, Paul tells us over here in verse 15, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see the access that you have right there? We can come boldly. The word boldly means with confidence. We can come with confidence. We can come boldly. Where? To the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This widow woman has a need. She needs some mercy. She needs some grace. And she's got to plead her case before an unjust judge. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that, you see. You got access. She didn't have any companion to come with her. She didn't have a friend. Being a widow, she didn't have a husband. She didn't even have a friend to come there. What have you got? You know what they charge the Lord with? Those Pharisees and all says, well, he's a... Uh, he's a wine. He, he says he comes eating and drinking. He's a wine bibber and a gluttonous man, and the friend of publicans and sinners. I'm glad to tell you, on the first count, he's not guilty. Jesus Christ was not a wine bibber. Number two, he was not a gluttonous man. Not guilty. But on charge number three, guilty is guilty is guilty can be the friend of publicans and sinners. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus Christ is guilty of being your friend? <laughs> And he's not a fair-weather friend. I depend upon the Lord every single day. He's just not my friend today, not my friend tomorrow. If he's my friend today, he's my friend yesterday. He'll be my friend tomorrow, you see. He's not a fair-weather friend. He's a true friend, a dedicated friend. One I can depend upon, a friend that leavened at all times, as Solomon says. That's a true biblical friend that you can have. He's also my mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one mediator between God and me and the man, Christ Jesus. He's my go-between. When I pray to the Father, it goes through the Son. The Son is my mediator between me and the Father. Aren't you thankful for that? And in 1 John 2.1, we find the Apostle John saying, as it's written, he says, Oh, I write unto you little children that you sin not. <laughs> now listen, he says you should not sin. But he said, But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what an advocate is, don't you? He's somebody that, that pleads your cause. You've got an advocate. you got somebody to speak for you. That's why little babies, my friends, need an advocate. Little babies in the wombs of the mothers that, uh, you know, uh, considering abortion and everything, they need a, a mouth. They need a spokesman. They need an advocate on their behalf. Unbelievable we live in a society today that has so little regard for human life we have an advocate with the Father his name is Jesus Christ the righteous we have a friend we have a mediator we have an advocate and we go back to Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 let us come boldly to the throne of grace we might obtain mercy and find grace to have in the time of need for we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities we have a high priest we have a mediator we have an advocate we have a friend to go with us she had none of those She's coming there by herself, a stranger to the judge, no guaranteed access to the judge, nobody to hold her hand, nobody to walk along with her to see this man that doesn't fear God, neither does he regard man. You see the contrast I trust this morning. She came pleading just poverty. You know what you've got when you come to the throne Let's look at Philippians 4.19. The Apostle Paul wrote to this church, and he said, May God supply all your need according, that word according means in harmony with, any time you see the word according, remember it's going to be in harmony what's been said, is going to be in harmony what's going to be said. May God supply all your needs according in harmony with his riches and glory. <laughs> you come before a rich king that is very liberal. That's using in a good sense. You come before a rich key that's very liberal. Notice James 1 5: Any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth all men liberally. Hebrews 11:6: Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Our God is generous, our God is liberal, our God is a rewarder. Our God is just pleased, my friends, open up the storehouse of glory. And give you mercy and grace in the time of need. Isn't that great? (laughs) You say, Brother Lawrence, maybe the storehouse has got empty. Never has been, never will be. I can assure you there is no shortages in heaven. (laughs) None. No shortage in God's love. No shortage in God's mercy. No shortage in God's grace. She had to come in poverty. We don't come to a God, my friends, like that. He, He is our uh, he's our, our Lord, He's our Savior, He's our Creator, He's our Heavenly Father, and He cares for us. He has compassion for us. She came there with no promise that she would get in, no promise she'd be heard, no promise she could plead and hold to. That's not true with God. Not true at all. In the book of 2 uh, Peter 1, 4, He says, Whereby are given unto us? Notice it. says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding and precious promises. Plural. Promises, plural. How many promises, Brother Lawrence? Without number. <laughs> I wouldn't even begin to try to count the promises of God because they're more than I can number. I'm confident about that. Why by giving us exceeding and precious promises? They're exceeding promises and they're precious promises. See, let me tell you something. God is never over promised. God has never just promised haphazardly. One of the great promises found in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You think he's going to back off that promise? No, indeed, he's not going to do that. Some of the last words of Joshua, when he got ready to leave this world, read Joshua 23 and 24, the last two chapters. You'll find where Joshua spoke and repeated Unto Israel, that every thing that God promised had come to pass. Not one thing was missing for anything that He promised them. What did He promise them? He promised them the land of Canaan. Did He give it to them? He did. He promised them to lead them into the land of Canaan. Did He? He did. He promised to go and fight their battles for them. Did He? He did. He promised to deliver them, brethren, and give them houses they didn't build, and vineyards they didn't plant, and wells they didn't dig. It's a turnkey job, in other words. Isn't that a sight? <laughs> I'll say it though. Isn't that a sight? <laughs> Houses you didn't build. Now, I didn't build the house I'm in now, but I had to pay for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> in wells, I didn't dig. In vineyards, I didn't plant. Isn't God great? Any good? That's just some of the promises. And Joshua said not one thing he promised. Did he come up short on? She had to come before a judge of the law. You come before a throne of grace. Aren't you glad of the contrast? Aren't you glad of the difference? And then the Lord says this. He says, hear what the unjudged just saith. You mean the judge said something I need to hear? He sure did. He said within himself, notice this, said within himself, because this woman troubleth me, I will avenge her of her adversary, lest by her continual presence she weary me. You know what the word weary means there? It's different than the word weary in Galatians 6.9. In Galatians 6.9 it says, Be not weary, well doing. The word weary here is a different. comes from a different Greek word. It means to get hit under the eye like in a boxing match. When you get hit right here, what happens? It turns black, doesn't it? What he's saying right here is this. This woman won't stay quiet. This woman's coming every single day, and she's outside making noise one thing and another. I'm going to finally give her a hearing, but notice why. Lest she could weary me, give me a black eye in society. Have you ever been... Around somebody, and you may have to tell them, say, Listen, you need to calm down. You're going to give yourself a black eye. Now, you're not talking about literally. All that could happen, I guess. (laughs) You're not talking about that literally. But your reputation's at stake. You're going to get a black eye. You're going to ruin your reputation, in other words. That's the only reason that judge avenged her of her adversary. I'm telling you, that's not like the God of heaven, that's not like your heavenly father. He's a God who cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And he said, Will not God avenge the cry of his elect, which cry to him day and night? You say, Brother Lawrence, did you just preach election without going to Ephesians chapter 1? I sure did. Did you just preach election without going to Romans chapter 8? I sure did. And I can go to a lot of places, my friends, and teach that wonderful doctrine of election without going to Romans chapter 8, Ephesians chapter 1, but I do love going there. How much more shall your father hear the cries of his elect with crying to him day and night? Notice that last expression, day and night. Does your problem start at 8 and end at 5? Do you just have daytime problems? Or do you just have nighttime problems? Or do you have problems day and night? If you just have daytime problems, tell me how you get out of not having nighttime problems. If you've got nighttime problems, tell me how you get out of having, not having daytime problems. Because my problem, <laughs> I have daytime and nighttime problems. <laughs> Sometimes my problems at night is no more serious than not being able to go to sleep. But that is a problem as far as I'm concerned. Toss and turn for eight hours without sleeping. It's like Brother Varn Marshall, going to be the Lord now. He was good for his little quips and quotes and all. And he was having a restless night one night. And his wife said to him, Varn, <laughs> lay down and go to sleep. He says, Mama, that's how he called her. I can't lay down and go to sleep. I got to lay down and sleep's got to come to me. I thought that was kind of cute. I thought kind of wise. <laughs> I'm trying to go to sleep. I can't catch it. Oh, just come to me you'll sleep. Just, just come to me. <laughs> Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry to him day and night? I'm glad to tell you this morning God doesn't keep office hours. God is available 24-7. Men ought to always pray and not to faint. Prayer to the soul should be just like breathing air to the natural man. We should be in such communion with God that we pray continuously. Not necessarily outward, uh, you know, with, with our voice, but our heart on the inside is crying unto God on a regular and a daily basis. And then the Lord asked a question. He said, when the Son of Man cometh, Will he find faith on the earth? Now this expression is in context of what I've been preaching. Will he find this kind of faith? Will he find God's people praying always? Will he find God's people diligently seeking him? That's the question. When you read what's going to happen in the end days, the end times, it's not a pretty picture. I trust that the answer will be yes. I hope the answer will be yes. I hope when the Lord comes, he will find such faith as this woman had here. She came before an unjust judge. She needed relief. And the only way she could get it was by not giving up. The only way she could give it was by coming day after day after day and making her voice known, her voice heard. Finally, the unjust judge said, I'm going to avenge her adversary because she troubleth me. You don't trouble God. You don't weary God. Sometimes people say, Brother Lawrence, I I didn't want to trouble you. Well, I appreciate that. I I really do. But trouble me. I'm here. Trouble me. I'm troubled anyway. (laughs) Go ahead and trouble me. But you can't trouble God. You can't weary God. Now, I can't talk about one person at a time. But God can hear the prayers of all of his people at one time and sort them all out and not get confused. Aren't you glad about that?